Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman, and through these conversations, I have the chance to share stories of personal growth and struggle, happiness, and overcoming grief. The Mosaic Life Podcast is a podcast on demanding the very best for ourselves each and every day. If you enjoy this episode of the Mosaic Life Podcast, I would ask for only one thing in return, and that's for you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'll be completely honest, writing this introduction today is a bit of a challenge. My guest overcame immense grief to share her story with the world and this conversation with you. But that's not why she's here. She's here because of the incredible kindness of one total stranger in a country foreign to her and how one simple act completely changed her life. How that act saved her life. Whether or not you're a parent, whether or not you've suffered a horrible loss, there is one thing in this world that can help others through hard times, that can bring us together when we couldn't feel farther apart, and that's kindness. Laura Formentini is a San Francisco-based author, nonprofit photographer, and activist who has worked with countless NGOs from around the world and with seemingly ordinary people who have accomplished the extraordinary. In the summer of 2019, Lara's life hit a turning point when her son died by suicide. She now shares her story on how a random act of kindness from a complete stranger has helped her to heal and how she is paying the stranger's kindness forward with her book. I'm thrilled to welcome my new friend to the podcast, Lara Formentini. Welcome. How how are you? I appreciate uh, you hopping on the call with me. I hope your start to the new year is going splendidly. Trey, thanks so much for uh, working with me. Yeah, everything great. Good. Thank I'm you. I'm so glad to hear that. What um what did your New Year's look like uh, going from you know uh, another crazy year into what hopefully will you know be a little bit uh, less crazy. Well, I'm a very optimistic person, and uh, I think I'm uh, definitely pretty resilient. <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't know, I always look at the positives, and, and uh, I see the beauty in everything, and every day I'm very grateful. Every day I wake up grateful. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that uh, people start looking at the positives as well and in every day and, uh, and uh, keep moving forward. Oh, yeah. I love that. And, you know, one of the messages I, I try to convey on this podcast is that if we can just have a conversation together like this, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be in an official capacity like a podcast. It could be a phone call. You could be sitting across from somebody. If you can just hear somebody's voice and sense their nuance and get an idea for where they're actually coming from, as opposed to just screaming at each other on the internet, we we have <laughs> such a better chance of actually finding common ground and connection. And just even if we don't agree with somebody, at least we can understand who they are as a human, as opposed to just some avatar online. Sure, exactly. I mean, you don't have to have suffered uh, trauma or crazy things, you know, it's just I feel that, you know, we've all been through this 
collective grief uh, these past couple of years. And, you know, we're all in pretty much in the same boat, really. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, remind me where you're located. So I'm in San Francisco. Okay. And yeah. And where, uh, where you, so you haven't always been in San Francisco. You, you came to the United States from out, outside the country, correct? Yeah, I um, I grew up in Milan in Italy, um, and I moved to the States when I was about 20, 20 years old. Yeah. And, uh, and then I've lived in uh, just a bunch of different places, but um, I've lived in three different um, states here in the States, and then I've lived in Africa as well as Central America. That's amazing. You know, I... I, I will say this, and I, I there you can probably sense a bit of shame in my voice. I, I haven't been many places, and I'd like to, um, of course. I, I think a lot of people have that wonder, lust, or that at least the, the dream of, you know, being a world traveler. Um, you know, the extent of my travels is, you know, I've, I've been all across the United States. I, I've been to the other side of uh, the border in Canada, but aside from that, you know, I don't have a whole lot of worldly experiences. And I, you know, I, I'm fortunate in the sense that I get to speak with a lot of people who have, and you, you have, I, I can't really articulate it, but you, when you talk with somebody who has seen different areas of the world, they've seen different peoples, they've seen different sufferings, they've seen different types of uh, prosperity. It's just they they have a, a firmer understanding, a better understanding of of who we are as a humanity. And I mean, I can you know from the little bit a bit of time you and I have spoken, I, I can certainly sense that about you. I mean, is that do you find that to be true versus you know people who have not traveled a whole lot? I yeah, I I think so. I when I was growing up, I always knew that I was not going to live there forever. Yeah. I always wanted to explore. I've always been a very curious and empathic person. And um I I'm an empath. So and I grew up in a family that um prioritized conformity and a lot of materialism. And so yeah. I was always very open to feelings and I'd absorb everything, the good and the bad. And um, what I experienced growing up was this negative power of what it means not to, not to be able to use my voice or express myself and be open and vulnerable freely. And um, because vulnerability and openness were not a choice in my family. Yeah. And so I moved to the States and in my 20s, early 20s, and I started a family and I worked in the archaeological field. I graduated in archaeology and art history uh, to travel and explore the world. And um, pretty much, you know, Trey, the more I traveled, the more I realized the, um, I would say, the disproportion between rich and poor. Yeah. And the enormous differences between life in these so-called disadvantaged countries and our first world. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, having been unable to use my voice as a child growing up, I, I started volunteering and sponsoring children. And, and then I decided to become a fundraiser for various causes. That's great. Um, what um i mean you mentioned seeing that disparity between 
you know, our, our country or first world countries and, and third world countries. I, I, people, I think, have an idea in their mind of, you know, what that disparity looks like. But even I think the media don't portray a, an, a realistic image. I mean, what without... Well, I mean, what, how did, jarring was that the first time you saw, you know, real poverty, um, not here in the United States? Well, the level of poverty that you see in certain countries is incredible. For instance, in Malawi, Malawi, Malawi I believe, is, is the poorest country in Africa. And um, it's just uh, it's just incredible. You almost have to go and experience it because... Um, you can express it or try to express it as much as you can, but until you actually go and experience it, uh, you won't really understand fully the, the capacity of, of their poverty um, and what they have to do to survive daily. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of prostitution because, yeah. you know, to try to end, uh, make ends meet and, so, um, yeah, I, and again, being an empath, I, it was very difficult because you tend to absorb everything. So it was really, really difficult to see certain things, <laughs> but there are uh, pros and cons in being an empath. The pros is that you, um, you want to do something, you know, you want to, you know, take action. And so, um, and so I was, I was able to do that, you know, um, and, you know, uh, I became this passionate advocate for traveling with a purpose and bringing yeah. aid to those who couldn't help themselves, people, communities, animals. And um, it was heartbreaking in the beginning. But then what I did was I learned to uh, separate work from uh, from feelings. OK, yes. so the feelings are there, obviously potent. Uh, especially when you're working with uh, children living in a rundown uh, children's home, for instance, in Africa. And, you know, um, I remember, you know, seeing this home, their dorms were, um, um, you know, their beds were infested with bugs and, you know, there were, it, it was, it was insane. It was incredible. And then, so when you come back and you realize how, much we have here and how, how very little they have there in the material sense. Um, you, you can't, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to describe. You just, uh, it's almost like a shock to the system. Yes. And uh, um, so when I came back from my very first trip to Africa, I knew that I had to do something. And I, I didn't know what it was, but I could not, not think about it. Is that kind of when you started to find your voice? You know, I, I know our early childhood development and, you know, as those stories get written for us, I mean, those are the templates on which we use in our adult lives and, it, lives and it can be so difficult to break free from those. So obviously something like seeing such poverty and, and tragedy to an extent um, in Africa. I mean, I, that, I'm sure that helped you really, you know, find or develop a voice to, to speak out and, and help other people. Yeah. I, um, so again, after, you know, having been unable to use my voice as yeah. a child growing up. Okay. So I started volunteering and sponsoring children. I've been sponsoring 
about 50 kids uh, over the past 18 years. Um, and then I became, became a fundraiser for various causes, including um, animal welfare. And then I got into nonprofit ethical photography. And so, again, I one of my passions is definitely traveling, but I turned that traveling into traveling with a purpose. And so, yeah. you know, instead of just going to, you know, a beautiful resort, and right. hanging out, you know, it's, I realized that there's so many places in the world where you can not only go and help out, but, you know, you can go and learn about their culture. You can still have fun. It's not that it has to be a traumatic experience or anything, but, you know, you can connect with the locals. You can, you, you can go and have fun. You can um, learn about their culture and really try to understand what they need, you know, what they need and what, um, and connect on a human human level. Yeah. Um, and so I also started writing about my experiences working with the, this children's home yeah. and the children I have been sponsoring throughout these 18 years. I wanted to capture stories of um, resilience, grit, perseverance, and authentic human connection. Because one thing that I learned there in a lot of these countries was um, their sense of community is yeah. incredible. Like they, they all have each other's back. Um, and something we don't really find here, you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they prioritize that over materialism. And so that's, that's one thing that is, is still shocking to me every time I come back. So why do you, I mean, I, I know you kind of gave, uh, you, you did give some of what, somewhat of a reason. I mean, why, why do you think it is that they prioritize uh, community over materialism? I mean, is it, is it because they have less access to material goods or is it because they truly internalize what it means to be a part of a community and to have to be able to defend each other either physically or emotionally, mentally? I mean, what is it about their particular culture that says community first and material is, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not even important to us. Well, all of, all of the above, I would say, you know, there's not, you know, where there's poverty, there's not much materialism, of course. So they try to really support each other in the, within the community. And also if, you know, when you're a foreigner, a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll try to include you within their community. Sometimes they, you know, (laughs) they'll sleep on the floor and make you sleep in their bed so that you're, you know, you're comfortable. And, um, it's, it's that, that power, that healing power of true human connection that I've, I've experienced there that, um, has really changed me. And, uh, you know, I, I realize how <clears throat> even small acts of kindness towards even a stranger, uh, can be so open, you know, eye opening. and wow, you know, this is incredible what you're doing to me. You don't even know me. Yeah. Um, and I, I would like to talk more about that because when we spoke initially, we, we talked briefly about, you know, how random acts of kindness, kindness can heal the world. And I mean, that seems very grandiose, but I mean, there, there's so much truth to it. I mean, just things that somebody can do for you that it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be the, the biggest gesture in the world, but these, these little things, uh, like, like you said, you know, letting you sleep on 
uh, somebody's bed while they sleep on the floor because they want you to be comfortable. Just that has such a long lasting effect in your own life and it allows you to, to branch out and do the same thing for others. I mean, how, have you seen a lot of that um, as you've traveled? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on where, where, but a lot of the countries where I've been, especially, um, so I've been to a lot of countries in, in Africa, in many countries in South America and Central America. And I, what I've learned is that human connection is what we, um, what we all need to practice in order to collectively heal. Yeah. Um, human connection is always possible. I believe if, you know, if we, if we stay, if we stay authentic, if we are authentic and genuine, if we toss that mask, become vulnerable and show our weaknesses and pain and realizing that we're all, we're all the same uh, under the surface, regardless of bank account status or physical attributes, really there is no difference between you and I. And so a lot of the, a lot of the, in a lot of these situations, I've, I've realized that random acts of kindness like these daily um, really create this form of human connection that, that, you know, connect us all, that help, helps us heal our wounds and connect us with the world. That's incredibly beautiful. I, I, I love that. And I wish there were more of that. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to, completely put down what we have here. I mean, we're, we're fortunate in the sense that, you know, we, we, it is, you know, it, it's a first world country. We don't have nearly the same amount of problems that the rest of the world does, but you st- still watch the news and you uh, get disheartened very, very quickly because we all seem to be turning in each, on each other. And that's, that's, that's scary and it's sad. And it just makes us think that there's no reason to, to be kind to others because nobody's going to be kind to us. And I, I really wish we could rewrite that narrative. And I, I, I love hearing the experiences that you've had outside of, or all over the world, I should say, because, you know, I don't think it's, it's, um, it's sectioned off to, to just one part. So I'm, I'm very thrilled and hopeful to hear that. And I, I don't know, I mean, if you could, if you could instill some of those lessons that you've learned and, you know, offer it to the advice of Westerners, I mean, is there, a, is there a message that you think could be easily conveyed or, you know, even uh, resonate with people here? Yeah, I, um, well, one of the, one of the most amazing acts of kindness that I have um, experienced is, um, when I was uh, when I was in Ethiopia two yeah. years ago, um, and actually it was it's almost almost three years ago. Yeah. And um, so I was in Ethiopia collecting um, stories of positive transformation for one of my uh, one of my books, and so I've written uh, three books so far. Two are still. Um, I'm still working on and one is released today. But um, so this specific book I was putting uh, for this specific book, I was putting together stories of positive transformation from the locals in Ethiopia, in the rural uh, portion of Ethiopia, south of Addis Ababa. And I was there in August of 2019 
um, with a group of locals who were connecting me with other people living in the south in the rural area. Yeah. And um, while I was there talking to these people and writing, interviewing them, I received a call that was turned out to be the, that changed my life. Okay. And this is another one of those turning points that, you know, you think that your life is going a certain direction and boom, right. It changes your course again. um, So my older son um, called me and from the States and told me that my younger son had taken his life on the other side of the world. And of course I, um, you know, dropped everything that I was doing. I'm distraught. I don't know what to do. I'm there with locals who barely, you know, who understand, who understood English, but they, they didn't know what to do, how to handle me and how to handle the situation with me. And they helped me to find a flight to go back to the States. And turns out it's not just one flight. Turns out it's four different flights because yeah. I had to. I found something from that will go from Addis Ababa, the capital. Well, first I had to fly from the rural area to Addis Ababa and then Addis to Dublin, Ireland, Dublin, Ireland to Boston, and then finally home to Denver. So it was 35 hours by myself. Jeez. So um, nobody could come back with me because nobody had a passport. And um, there were no no Americans with me, no friends with me. So I had to do everything on my own. And my tour guide said, listen, there's nobody can come back with you because uh, nobody has a passport. And nobody can stay with you until your flight departs tonight. But there's a friend of mine who volunteered to be with you all day long until departure, the departure. Yeah. And so speaking of acts of kindness, okay, this guy is a total stranger. Amazing guy. His wife is very pregnant. She was due at any time. Like, seriously, she was due three, four days, something like that. And that he shows up, volunteers to be with me, okay? And he says, Laura, um, I'll be with you and, you know, until departure. And you're talking 10 hours straight. So he right away holds my hand and he says, do you want to come to my house and meet my wife and meet my other kids? And I'm like, I didn't even know what to answer. I was, I was just, you know, obviously in a different world of yes. my own. And, and so he calls me sister right away. And he says, I'm your brother, you know, don't yeah. worry. He, um, he kept, he held my hand, Trey, 10 hours straight all day long. Incredible. Yes. I did not end up going to his family's his family, his play, his house, but um, because I didn't feel, uh I didn't feel like it was right because, you know, he's, I didn't want to include. So he decided to take me to lunch and he take, to, takes me to a couple of archaeological museums that day, yeah. knowing that archaeology was one of my passions. And so we hang out all day. Okay. Yeah. And 
when it's time for him to drop me off at the airport in Addis, um, actually, I'm sorry, at the at the um, rural airport south of Addis, um, I asked him, I said, why did you do all of this for me? You don't even know me. And he said to me, he said, what do you mean you don't even know me? We're a brother and a sister. And he said, I didn't do anything special. We're a brother and a sister. It was my human responsibility. And of course, my eyes filled with tears. And so, Trey, basically, it was thanks to his presence, thanks to his kindness, thanks to his words, that I was able to make it on that flight. Not that flight, on those flights. Yes. Because it was the hardest, most tragic, most traumatic day of my life. And had he not been there, there's no way. There's yeah. no way I could have been able, I would have been able to to make it. That's amazing, um, and I I will be completely honest with you. As you were telling me that story, my eyes started watering myself because it's it is it's an incredible story, and I, I think it it lends credence to you know there are there are great people out there, and I think they're more abundant than than yes. what we give the world credit for, and yes. it's they're there when we, when we need them and they, he was there for you when you needed him. And I, from what you've told me previously, you're still connected with him, right? Yeah. So we, we exchanged our uh, WhatsApps and, you know, we, we, we talk maybe once every, once a week, once every 10 days, because I've only seen him once. Yeah. He still does not have a passport, but my, my, I would love for him to come to the States. And in fact, I am uh, putting together a uh, a TED talk, and my <laughs> I would love to have him over and share the stage with him, and That's really talk amazing. about human connection, yes. and you know how this how a random act of kindness can spark the healing power of human connection, and how it can save a life. Because again, if you think about it, he said to me. I didn't do anything special, Laura. It was my human responsibility. Now, for him, it was nothing special. For me, it saved me. Yes. And he stayed with me. So again, it, it can happen to anybody. So if you're practicing these random acts of kindness, okay, in your daily life, it doesn't have to be anything grandiose. Right. You don't have to you know, fundraise for an orphanage or you don't have, you don't have to do anything crazy, especially if you're not able to travel, but you can practice that sort of service, uh, acts of service in your daily life. Even, even a small act of kindness, you don't know the magnitude of what your acts of kindness can produce or create or generate you don't know. You have no idea. So again, it's, you know, he didn't think that he did anything special for me. It was life-changing. Yes. You know, what I really, I, I love, I love his words. I, I love that he referred to you as brother and sister. And, and because that we're, you know, we're, we're part of, we're, we're humans. We, we, we are connected in that sense. I, I, you know, I, I think up until this very moment, the word brother has been 
not overused in in my world, but the the men in my life, especially the men that I've connected with on the podcast, we tend to call each other brother, and so mm-hmm. it's become it's become kind of commonplace. And I haven't thought yeah. much about it, but now hearing your story, it means so much more to me because it's not just a, a term of endearment or friendship. It's it is we we are we are the same, even though we have different paths in this life and we've had different experiences as humans, we are still having the one human experience. And it means the world to think about the fact that we're all connected in that, right? And it makes us feel, at least it makes me feel just a little bit less alone and a little bit more loved. And I, I'm, sure. I'm so thankful that you shared that. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I realized that, you know, Especially now after having been through the pandemic, because I went through, you know, while the pandemic came out, I was already going through the grief of my son's suicide. So you're talking about pandemic, which is collective grief, plus my own personal grief, which is, I would say for a woman, for a mother, it's the worst type of thing that you can go through. And on top of that, there was the pandemic. So, um, you know... It's, okay, I'm thinking, how did I heal myself? Okay, how did I heal myself from this? I'm like, there has to be a way to heal myself from the trauma that I've been through. And um, I realized that I learned, so I learned that recovery from this trauma of my son's suicide began the minute I received a random act of kindness from the stranger. Okay, so that he helped me tremendously to start this healing journey. And then when I came back, um, I well, I practice meditation. Okay, so I practice TM, which is transcendental meditation. Really, it works really well for me. Um, Also, I realized that each of us heals in our unique way. Okay, and. Therapy does not really, is not the best option for everyone. It's not the best option for me, for instance. Um, And I've tried it, but it doesn't really work uh, for for me, for the way I am. And so so I realized that traditional treatment, you know, is not for everybody. And so um, when we are depressed and we're going through grief, we're going through trauma, Practicing these simple acts of kindness towards someone else who is going through maybe a tough time can help us to heal ourselves. It can remind us that we're all in the same boat and that kind of, um, I would say, vulnerability opens opens us up to human connection and true healing. So if maybe therapy is not working for us while we're going through this, this, any kind of trauma. It doesn't have to be what I went through. It could be anything. It could be divorce. It could be, uh, you know, natural or artificial disasters. It could be anything that is traumatic in your life. Yeah. You know, if therapy doesn't work for you, try to incorporate practicing service towards others. It doesn't have to be, again, anything grandiose, but you can start here right now where you are okay and it yeah. can be towards people it can be towards animals it can be but you know it raises the vibration of of it raises your vibration and the vibration of your environment it doesn't have to be anything big 
just something small um, that, you know, because even when we are depressed, a simple act of kindness towards someone else can remind us that we're all in the same boat and then it can lift you up. Absolutely. And I think it's extremely important to remember, I, you know, we talk about volunteering or, you know, giving our time to help others. And obviously the component of that is that we want to help others. I, I think it's important to realize that it's okay to feel good. It's okay to do these things, right. not just because you're helping others, but because it makes you feel good. There's no, that's not selfish. There's absolutely no selfishness in that because no. you're still giving your time, but we have to realize that it's going to help us as well. And that's equally as important. Exactly. And you know, it's a, let's call it a win-win situation. Yes. Okay. It's not something that you're doing for yourself. Like you're saying, Oh, I'm selfish. You're not. You're doing something that helps another and it helps you at the same time because it's all about win-win. We're brothers and sisters, not in a religious way, not necessarily in a religious, I'm not religious, but I believe that, um, you know, under the surface, we really all need the same things. We all need the same exact things. And, you know, if you take away my, you know, my bank account or my status, who am I if you strip me of everything that I have built on the surface? Who am I? I'm not much different than you. Right. And that's something that I've learned throughout my travels. Um, and that's something that this pandemic is really teaching us. Yes. That, you know, in the end, it doesn't really matter. It can hit anybody. Yes. Yeah, that's that that point is extremely important. Um, so your book out today, 21 Olive Trees, I would love to talk more about that. And um, obviously, I, I think you, you told me previously, it's you know, dedicated to your son. And I mean, where, where I don't know, this, I know this is a loaded question, but where, where did this book come from? And, you know, what do you aim to accomplish, you know, through sharing it with the world? Yeah, so um, so 21 Olive Trees is um, obviously a book that I wrote um, in order to heal myself from the trauma, trauma that I um, had experienced. Um, I, I, I've always journaled. And so it's, it, it came natural to me to start writing about the experience. Um, and also I, for me, writing is very cathartic because it helps to get my energy moving. Okay. Um, I think that when we are in a lot of grief, it's grief is love that has nowhere to go. So basically if we are able to express ourselves while we're going through our grief, um, in any way, okay. Um, it can be movement, it can be exercising, it can be, you know, traveling, it can be, you know, all sorts of different modalities we can use. For me, writing is very cathartic. And so what happened was, after I came back to the States, obviously, I realized that this healing journey had started with uh, meeting the stranger. His name is Asefa. And then Five, six weeks after being in the States, after I came back to the States, I started writing. So I started writing notes, poems, a mishmash of things to my son, 
Okay, just like pretending that he was there with me. My son was my soulmate. We were very close. We were extremely similar. So you're talking two empaths. Um, We... He wanted to get into documentary films and, uh, and we wanted to work together in the, the nonprofit world because right. he could sense other people's suffering, just like me. It's yeah. like the same exact thing. But unfortunately, being an empath has its pros and cons. You know, if you're not, if you have not set up your boundaries and your energetic boundaries, you're you're going to be absorbing everything, the good and the bad. And he was just like that. He would just absorb everything and he was sort of like a sponge. So he kept telling me, mom, it's too hard. This world is too harsh. I can make it. And I'm like, yes, you can. I'll be there for you. You know, we're, we're going to do it. And anyway, when the call came, I realized that um, he had not realized that empathy is a gift. So there's a certain amount of people who have, who are highly sensitive in the world. And what does the world need right now? In my opinion, it does need high sensitivity, tenderness, love, compassion. These are all qualities that the world needs because there's a lot of stuff out there that needs to be, that we need, you know, we need, we need to correct. Okay. Um, And he did not realize that his empathy was a gift. So he left without realizing that he had a gift because empathy can heal. So anyway, I started writing these notes and poems and and, and little by little, a fable comes out. And then, um, you know, and then a letter. and And then what happened was I started meeting people who would read my material uh, and they'd say, they would say to me, Laura, this can be a book. And I'm like, yeah, right. It was not, I did not write what I was writing in order to turn it into a book, but it turned out to be a book eventually. <laughs> and uh, it's, it helped me to heal, and it, but it turned out to be even more than a self-healing experience. It turned out to be something crafted to help others heal. Yeah. And so, so 21 Olive Trees, which is out today, a mother's walk through the grief of suicide to hope and healing. Basically, it, um, it shows my process of going from the initial uncontrollable pain to the, all the emotions, to the acceptance, and eventually to the healing. And that I was really helped by the meditation. Very yeah. um, it's very important to rely on meditation while you're going through grief because yes. it reconnects you to the eternal you. And it reminds you that what you are experiencing on a day-to-day basis is basically what is on the surface. But you are eternal. You, you know, your, your spirit is really your reality. And so I wrote this book in, in a way to express that love, real love does not die. And so, and how important it is to love each other um, in the world and, and spread 
loving action. Spread this idea that love is not that complicated. It's right. just, it takes, it's, you know, a random act of kindness to lift up another person. And you never know the, the, the magnitude. It could be a domino effect, just like what Asefa did with me. He yes. helped me that day. And I ended up writing a book that hopefully will help out other people who are going through their own grief and dark moments. I, I, I have absolutely no doubt it will. I mean, that is a message that so many people need to hear. And I mean, you can make the argument, especially in the past two years, but uh, anytime. I mean, there, there's so there. The loss that you suffered is is unparalleled to anything else. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I've never had to deal with that sort of loss in my life. But I, I do know when you face tragedy, it's so, so easy and so tempting to feel like you're the only one in the world dealing with that. Right. And when you feel that way, it's just it self-perpetuates it. And you you compound your 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 depressed your depressed states and the bad feelings and it's just it's a vicious cycle and so knowing that you can break free of that and having the experiences of, of somebody else to to listen and and to relate with it's that's so incredibly important yeah and uh, you know i what i would like to to see is i would like the audience particularly the trauma survivors, okay? And again, it doesn't have to be the same thing that I went through, but any sort of trauma, okay? Yeah. I want the audience to feel that they can stop grieving and they can no longer feel stuck in their pain. Yeah. I want people to hear this tale of transformation of mine and understand that undergoing a traumatic loss through all the stages of grief because the stages of grief are the same. It doesn't matter what, you know, what trauma you're going through. Grief is the same, according to the Kubler-Ross model. Um, you go through the same exact stages of grief. And um, so I, um, I would like the audience to understand that these five stages of grief don't have to end with the acceptance, which is right. typical of the Kubler, you know, of the Kubler-Ross right, right. uh, model, but that it can continue to the healing portion. You know, it doesn't have to stop with acceptance. You can also go to healing by learning how to step step out of your own specific problem and to elevate your state of mind instead and understand that we really are in the same boat, that you are not the, the only one going through this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm so excited for you to be releasing this book. I'm excited to read it myself. Um, I, I did want to point out that you, you, you did receive an endorsement from Deepak Chopra, correct? Yeah, I did. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. How yeah. did you, how'd you end up going through that process? So I, um, well, I've been doing a lot of pre-marketing, um, and um, obviously, going finding him was not particularly easy. So, I um, I was able to talk to his publicist, and uh, his publicist said, "Yeah, he'd love to read your book." <laughs> and I got lucky there, and uh, because it's just an amazing um, asset, and he loved it. He said, "Oh, this book is great. I highly recommend it." And so, and he's also a fan of transcendental meditation yeah. so um so yeah is you know i'm 
I love the, oh, and also he loves, um, he's very much into love in action. In fact, he just released a uh, virtual event together with Marianne Williamson on how to practice love in action, which is what I'm totally about. And so I thought, I thought that that would be perfect, uh, yes. perfect way of connecting with the connecting um, based on the love in action and the meditation. We, we, we basically think the same. So, um, and yeah, so That's I, incredible. I feel that, you know, my healing process um, is, you know, it continues to, to this day. I'm not yeah. saying that yeah. every day is perfect and every day is rosy because it was way more fun when my son was around in the right. physical, of course, but I have gained this deeper awareness of what it's all about that, you know, again, if you're able to um, meditate and, you know, and practice this loving action and that will elevate your state of mind and, and you realize that, you know, one day we all die. And, you know, when you're, when you're, when you reach a certain age, if you do reach the older age, you know, uh, and you look back at your life, will you say, wow, I have, you know, I have helped a lot of people or I have helped one person or I have contributed, you know, to making it a bit kinder than the way I found it. And that's, that's so incredibly important to, to feel like you've left the world a better place than, you know, in which you were, you're living in. I, that's, I, I, I know that's not everybody's goal, but I, I, I certainly relate with you that that's, I, I would love to be able to contribute in, in that same sense. Um, <clears throat> I did want to ask, uh, so I know you're currently working on your TEDx talk. Do you have a date for that? Um, no, I have, um, actually a lot of, uh, uh, I'm still working on my applications. There's a couple that, um, um, I'm thinking about most likely it's going to be around July or August yeah. of this year. Um, but yeah, it's going to be about um, the power of human connection, how a random act of kindness can save a life. That's amazing. I, um, I'm, I'm so excited to, again, to, to, re- to read uh, 21 Olive um, Trees and also see your TEDx talk when it, uh, when it comes out. That's um I don't know. I I, I I I love the message, and I I am so thrilled that I mean I don't know. It's just the experience that you had, and he, being able to hear it and and be a part of it via conversation, it, it's extremely powerful and moving for me. So I, I very much appreciate uh, your willingness to share it. Thank you. Yeah, and I you know again I think that. Um, Again, I've been through probably one of the most traumatic experiences. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I have had some of the most resilient people as my mentors. Yes. So after living, you know, you know, for instance, the, the, um, the founder of this children's home in Africa, um, the, it's called uh, Merciful Redeemer's Children Home. It's in the outskirts of Nairobi. Um, I met with Mama John in uh, 2018, very briefly. She passed away just four or five months after I met her. And she was probably one of my most amazing mentors, the most most powerful mentors 
because uh, she she was saving kids from the slums of Nairobi and she was yeah. taking in she was taking kids into her house and her house was a small place so she starts you know adopting these kids uh in before she knew it she had five or six kids in her small house and so she started fundraising and little by little she creates a home and then you know the home turns out to be 120 children <laughs> so, and you know and she kept going she kept going and when i met with her she was wearing this beautiful dress full of yellow flowers big smile and she was she had cancer when i yeah. met her so she was terminal but she would not stop smiling she kept saying love is all that matters yeah and she said you came to us you answered a prayer because she knew that, you know, uh, she knew that I wanted to fundraise and, and help out um, through a friend of mine who lives in Nairobi. And she said, you help, you know, you answered our prayer and uh, you're our angel, she said. And I'm like, I'm no angel. But, uh, you know, but I, I persevered because I saw in her eyes what it meant to her and what, he, what these kids meant to her. And, yeah. you know, it was her life. And so after having... After meeting these people who are just so incredible and who won't give up, I'm like, wow, it's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful world out there. And like you said, there are so many amazing people out there working behind the scenes because, you know, what happens is when we, we follow the media, you know, a lot of the stuff is negative. A lot of the, you know, we, we tend to sensationalize things and, and we don't really cover a lot of stories like these stories of resilience of, of, you know, of overcoming the worst of the worst and people do it. I'm, I'm uh, the living example that it's possible to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I heard or read something recently, which it, it tends to make sense when you think about the media, obviously they want viewership, but bad things happen in moments and good things happen over time. So it's so much easier to cover the bad things than it does to cover, you know, the, the building of a home for children, because that, that is a slow process or the fundraising is a slow process. So, I mean, I I certainly get it, but those are the things that we need to pay attention to so we can continue to, or at least retain some, if not all of our faith in humanity. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I I know we're coming up on an hour here, but before we wrap up, I I did want to ask because it scratches an itch of mine. I don't think I've ever either on the podcast or in real life spoken with an archaeologist before. And I know this can be such a silly question, but you know, you see movies like uh, Tomb Raider or like Indiana Jones, and I just tell me the truth. I mean, they're there's they're not even remotely similar to real life archaeology, are they? it can be it's, okay it's, uh, what happens is um you really go for the thrill of, yeah. of discoveries a lot of times you just don't discover anything but you know <laughs> sometimes it is just discovering one coin that you know was minted during i discovered one time when it was a coin minted in um uh, during the period of uh, the emperor nerva and it was in the in perfect condition and I just could not believe it after days and days and days of digging I'm like it's just a coin you know <laughs> you know how many coins do you have in your pocket right now you know probably a ton but you find a coin that was minted 
you know, uh, yes. 2000 years ago. And you're like, whoa, it's, it's the thrill <laughs> yeah. and it's the research behind it. That is just fascinating. That's incredible. So yeah. when you, when you go on a dig like that, I mean, are you, do you do that with the intent of, you know, whatever you find going in a museum or is that something that's added to your personal collection or I'm, I'm just curious how that works? No, you don't, you don't do anything for your personal connection. Okay collection no it's always whatever you find you know it's either you know um you know either photograph or you it, you know ends up being in a catalog and ends up being in a museum basically so gotcha well, but you know like any 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 pursuit you know it's it can be it can get dirty and you know sometimes it's not particularly always exciting but you know it's overall it's fun and it's 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 the adrenaline behind yes. it. <laughs> and you That's get to incredible. Travel the world too. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a win-win there for yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Lauda and uh, did I did I say that correctly, Lauda? Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Good. Good. This has been such an incredible pleasure. I'm so thankful. One that we even had the chance to meet, and and two that we got to have this conversation, and you know, as a as a bonus for all of. Uh, all of the incredible things you're doing um, in this world. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, before I do let you go, I, I do have a few closing questions that I'd like to ask. And the first of which is, you know, I, I think this question is particularly poignant uh, given all that uh, you're doing and have done. I always like to know what resources are you looking for so you continue your personal growth, your personal prosperity. Uh, and I ask that question in the sense that, you know, somebody around the world or country is listening and they say, hey, I can help her. Here's what I'm looking for. Yeah, well, I, um, you know, I, I would love for uh, you to uh, take a look at my book, of course, and see my, um, you know, uh, look at my process of transformation, and you know, uh, realize that healing is possible from any kind of trauma. Um, and uh, yeah, if you can go on my website, you can also take a look at the. Um, the list of nonprofits that I currently support, and you can support them as well because there's a link to their um, websites as well. Um, and uh, so there's animal welfare organizations uh, that you can support on there. There's um, I also work with Kiva, which is a lending platform. Um, and, you know, even sponsoring a child I work with Plan International, I'm uh, partnering up with them to write a book on the, uh, positive impact of child sponsorship. So sponsoring a child will be another great opportunity to make the world a better place. And all the information is on my website. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah. I will, of course, have all of those links uh, in the show notes too, so people can find them easily. Um, cool. My next question for you, uh, I always like to know if you could name one book that has just had a profound impact in your life, what would that book be and why? Yeah. So I love um, Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, um, beautiful book about, um, how to really li live your life, uh, freely every day from, um, the material constraints. And it teaches you how to really go beyond form and how to, um, really stay, uh, to always remember that you are spirit and go beyond form and, um, and to how to live happily 
And that's a beautiful, beautiful book that I recommend to everybody. That's fantastic. And you are not the first person to recommend that book. I, I've heard wonderful things. So that just goes to show that's it's it's definitely up on my list. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and then last but not least, if you could leave the audience with a, a call to action, either one that you live your life by or one that you try to implore others to live their lives by, what would it be? Well, I, I would say that, um, again, uh, we, can re, we can try to reestablish genuine human connection uh, by practicing random acts of kindness every day and incorporating that into um, our everyday life. Um, and, you know, my goal is to teach that anyone can practice this daily. You don't have to be rich or famous we can all start right here, right now, and you will never know the magnitude of your positive actions. Yes, I love that. Lauda, thank you so incredibly much. If people would like to connect with you, if they'd like to find you online, social media, your website, what is the best place for them? Where, where is the best place for them to go? Sure. My website is uh, lauraformentini.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-F-O-R-M-E-N-T-I-N-I.com. And I'm also on Instagram at author Laura Formentini. And uh, 21 Olive Trees, um, Mother's Walk Through the Grief of Suicide to Hope and Healing is out today, January 11th. Um, it'll be on Amazon, but also in all the bookstores. You can find it at Barnes & Noble and all the bookstores. So, so worldwide, as well as in the, uh, on the audiobook. That's incredible. Thank you again so incredibly much. I can't wait for the opportunity for us to talk again. And uh, I just truly, I'm, I'm so appreciative of this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Trey. Thank you so much for working with me. Again, I would like to express my sincere gratitude for Laura joining me on the podcast. Her brand new book, 21 Olive Trees, is out today. Tuesday, January 11th, 2022. It is available everywhere you get your books, including Amazon and traditional bookstores. Please be sure to check that out. If you would like to learn more about Laura and see all of the incredible work she's doing in this world, please check out the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com where you can find her website as well as her social media links so you can connect with her and say hi. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mosaic Life podcast, I would be incredibly grateful if you would leave a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or both if you use both. That helps me. That helps the podcast continue growing. And of course, I am incredibly grateful for anyone who takes the time to do so. And thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast. It means the world to me. I hope your 2022 is off to an incredible start. I hope you've resolved to do better in your own life this year. And if there's anything that I can personally do for you to help you in your journey, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you all again so much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.